לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parks and Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Mellon with Highland Park, New Jersey. Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemet. Joining me are my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salmashek, the Day School of Long Island. Rabbi Jeremy Kamalovsky, Anshay Chesed in New York City. We're recording this uh, in a week that most people have a break uh, from school or work. Uh, and of course, we're also uh, recording this in the eighth week, or I guess it would now be the ninth week of the war between Hamas and Israel, thinking about our friends and loved ones in Israel, thinking and praying for the hostages that they would be released soon, and always thinking about the way Torah uh, shapes the way we look at the world and think through and experience the world, and perhaps some of that might come up in our conversation. We are talking about an amazing Parsha, the last Parsha of the Book of Breshit. We've reached this uh, moment. It's always a milestone moment, Parshat Vayichi, which uh, is both the summation of the book of Breshit. It's also the summation of Jacob's life. It's the end of Joseph's life. Um, do you want to just talk for a second about your characterization of the book of Breshit and what what is the book trying to accomplish and does it accomplish this and does it leave you... Uh, looking forward? Does it leave you happy? Does it leave you sad? Is it uh, uplifting or depressing? Uh, so I'm going to turn to my colleague, Barry Chesler. <laughs> uh, for the voice of depression. Um, okay, so I think that it's actually, in, in my response, at least this year, it's a dark book because the book ends in exile with barely the glimmer of hope at the end that the Israelites will make it back to the promised land. So there's the promise that Joseph makes his brothers and their descendants to make, which is that his bones will be taken back to the land of Israel. And we will track that in the Bible, in the Torah, in the book of Shemot, where it mentions as they leave Egypt, Moses takes the bones of Joseph with him. And again, at the end of the book of Joshua, where they're finally put in their final resting place. And, you know, I think that it's, one can read it as very depressing because, as I said, it ends in exile and there does not seem to be a lot to look forward to. We know what's coming next in the book of Shemot, and the Torah gets very quickly to how the reversal of fortune in the first few verses, where 70 people come with Jacob into the land of Egypt. They multiply fiercely and ferociously, and um, suddenly they're enslaved. And I guess we'll talk about that more next week, but I I'm not sure where the hope is supposed to come here. And there's a contrast with Yaakov and Yosef because Yaakov gets to go back to be buried in the ancestral plot at Merada Machpelah. And Joseph has to uh, languish in Egypt, 
presumably above ground in the Siron that will house his remains until they can take them um, in the next book. Although, although, although you, you know, there's a midrash that says he was buried in a lead casket and placed at the bottom of the Nile, and only Serach but Asher knew where he was buried. So sometimes uh, it's good to stick with the pshat. <laughs> no, no, but it's it's actually good to stick with with the drash on this because I, I will come at this from a different angle. Nothing you said is, of course, incorrect. Uh, they got dark times ahead, and they are they do end this book in exile. And Genesis has told us repeatedly. You've got dark times ahead. You're going to be in exile, but you're going to come out. And so the, the midrash, the, what gives that midrash about the the lead casket, the bottom of the Nile, some some legs, so to speak, is that um, Pharaoh has this astrological knowledge that, uh, or maybe he's just got a lore knowledge or something like that, that uh, the Israelites are going to go and they're going to take the bones of Joseph. And if I don't let them have the bones of Joseph, if I hide it at the bottom of the Nile, they're never going to get to go. Um, and so the the power of the Midrash is, and especially in that figure of Serach Bat Asher, who is one of the only females mentioned in the genealogies and, and her role in the Midrash, because she's also mentioned, she's mentioned in the genealogies of those who go into Egypt and those who come out. She's like this sibylline oracle who lives forever and knows all the secrets. And the, the power of the Midrash is, and, and I, this is my answer to the question of the, the function of the book of Breshit, is you have a deep, shared, familial past, and the memory of it is going to enable you to go into the difficult spots of your future. So through that person of Serach Bar Asher, who's going to who's going to know the secrets that are going to propel you forward, that is a like a great, uh, vivid uh, rendition of what Breshit, what Breshit is all about. You, I'm Yisrael, Jewish people. You got a shared past. It has great figures in it. And, and it's the mythic past. It's not how you live now, but you're going to re-access it uh, repeatedly and, and over the centuries to live your Jewish life. So I, I react, uh, and I think I've mentioned this in previous uh, times when we've talked about this. You know, I, I agree with everything you said. Of course, you know, far be it for me to not consider the darker aspect of, of the book and not agree with you on this. How, um, but I wouldn't go as far as dark in terms of hopelessness i think it's it's um sad for for all sorts of reasons that i could level which is uh uh we love the book uh we, we love the characters um and we're saying goodbye to them and it's also the a picture of a time in our history and here i'm referring Obviously, to the characters of you know Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and everyone associated with them, um, all of the stories that are woven around their lives, we we enjoy them so much. We love them. There, uh, we we fall in love with the characters every year again, and we live through their lives and we ask questions about their lives and we engage with them and we grow with them and we ourselves have have grown with them and, and of course with each other throughout. And and I think on the the level of this is a book and this is a book that we all read together. And this, you know, the end of the book marks not only the end of the collective story, but it's also 
a piece of our lives, that that it's a milestone in our lives, and that we come to you know each of these books at the end and and say, here we are, we're a fifth of the year now uh, into the Jewish year, fifth because the Jewish year is segmented into the books, and 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 you know it, it's it's just so abundantly obvious to us that the mood of the year is determined by the stories. And our themes are, the things that we think about are determined by what we read. Everything that we experience is, um, whether in in the day-to-day lives that we're going through, is uh, rarefied and, and filtered through um, the stories that we are reading. We're trying to associate in some way. And um, I'm, we love it. I mean, I, you know, and that's why there's a certain sadness here. The sadness is, uh, as 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 difficult as each one of these characters is, um, we we still love them, and we we will miss them because they've been such a presence in our lives. Perry. So I would just add this, based on what the two of you have said, that Genesis is a family story, and that's one of descent. But the national story, which we'll get in the rest of the Torah, is one of ascent, uh, moving towards the the land of Israel, and perhaps it comes to remind us that. At times, the family and the national destiny are not the same, and we have to be able to navigate both. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully well said. And add also the, um, the you know the the ways in which we note that each of the books is different. This is a family story about ancient people who lived. Presumably, even when the Torah is first in the hands of the Jewish people, these which. You know, it stands to reason that the Torah, in its form, final form, reaches the Jewish people. You know, around the time of the destruction of the first temple, a little bit after. So, if you tell the story about Abraham Avinu, even for, we are probably closer to that than than the, not exactly, but uh, but um, those people too were receiving a set of stories about ancient people. The Torah tells us behaviors. It tells us meets vote. It tells us ritual, um, but in Genesis, it gives us these massive, massive mythic stories. Like, what is your relationship when you might have to give up the child that you love? How do you deal with not being able to have children and worry about the progeny? You know, worry about the hopes of progeny. How do you wrestle with yourself? How do you deal with honesty and deceit? We, if we only had the mitzvah, the first Rashi, the Torah, Torah famously opens. Well, why didn't the Torah just begin with Genesis, with uh, Exodus 12, where the mitzvot start? Let's like, like, dispense with the stories and get to the normative behavior. Obviously, that is a that is a, a kind of a setup question, um, because it it simply couldn't be the Torah if we didn't have these deep mythic stories about the ancient ancestors and their heroic journeys from homelands to le- to lands that they have never seen before to, you know, the, the commands to be a blessing, to the hope for children, to have to give up the children. You know, th- this is like the really rich stuff that enables us to also say, by the way, don't eat pig and rest on the seventh day and, and you know, here are all the other, build the tabernacle. All those things come because they're built upon the base of the mythic stories of the ancient past. So, you know, speaking of big questions, I'm going to pick for that. Then why don't, why don't we just take the biggest question of all here, which is Vayichi, and it's he lives, and and ask the question about Jacob's life, which is, do you think? I mean, how 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 would you describe his exit? And has he accomplished everything that he wants to accomplish? Is his 
Is his passing going to be at peace? You know, we, we know some elements of this, namely that he is outside of the land. Um, did he, was he intended to go back into the land? And and maybe, you know, I, I, I turn to you, Jeremy, because you're, you're a congregational rabbi, and so you may have experience with this, you know, there's instructions, instructions that he gives his sons. So, or instruction, if I found favor in you, make an oath with me. Do kindness to me. And, and don't bury me in Egypt, which is a kind of will statement. That is to say, I'm instructing you to do to I'm instructing you with what to do with my remains. I, I have these experiences, you know, not infrequently, where there is a little conflict of what to do with the remains. Recently, I had an experience where someone said, I, I need I need you to cremate my my father, because that was his desire. I said, I'm sorry, I, I you know I can't do that. We'll help you do other things, but but um that I can't do. Um and 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 more generally speaking, you know, I, I this morning we're we're this is the first day in the week of Vayechi, so I got an email from an organization that that is that um, it's called uh, Yematai or uh, Ematai, which is all about organ donation and 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 instructions of next of kin what to do in uh, upon your demise. Okay, I think that's such a powerful idea that. May perhaps people think about people don't think about. Certainly, you know the the notion of organ donation is very very important. Uh, you know, obviously in in a, in, a, in a world that that has been touched by that. Uh, but but the the um, the notion that look, I, I know I'm going to die, and so I need to give you instructions. And and you know we encounter that uh, all the time. I think I don't know if you have any reflections on that. I feel it per- personally. I feel it somewhat in my professional life. We have people have, uh, you know, plots, and they. But personally, I strongly want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. Very, okay. very strongly. I feel this. I feel. You think this, you're going to be? I do think I'm going to be. I mean, make arrangements. Have, at some point, I'm going to have to make my own preparations. But so why? Why? If you could explain for a moment why that's important yeah. to you. Um, I have a poetic <laughs> feel about it. Uh, because typically in Israel, you know, you go in without coffins. I will be Eretz Yisrael. Yeah, literally, That's very body, powerful. My body will be Eretz Yisrael, and there's a, there's quite an abundant in Kabbalistic material and and even rabbinic material about wanting to be to be buried there. You're it's like you're buried anywhere in in the land. It's like you're buried underneath the mizbeach. Find those are tropes, but I I feel like to be part of Eretz Yisrael. It's so expensive. I know. <laughs> but he won't be paying for I mean, it. I, I only think of the. Well, I have to pay for it in advance myself. You'll pay for it in advance. You're gonna. You're gonna. You think of all the carbon. You have to have a flight. <laughs> okay, okay, but let's tie this back with Jacob. Right. I and I think that the question for Jacob is whether we see him at the end embittered or chastened, and I think the Torah allows us both readings, and we have to decide which one we think makes more sense. Or both, I mean... Uh, right, or we can read them both at the same time. But what I want to suggest is that at the end of his life, with this promise, Jacob finally understands that he doesn't belong here. 
And what's important to him is to be in a place where he belongs, even if he's not alive. This is and, massive. This is massive in the clan. You know, like there's, there's lots of aspects of religion. Don't eat pig, fast on Yom Kippur, be part of your ancestral line. These are each huge parts of religion. And well, it goes further because he needs to rely on the living for it to happen. So it's not just about the ancestors, it's about the descendants as well. Beautiful. And so Jacob becomes the pivot between the past and the future. And that is quite powerful. And I think, you know, maybe I'm feeling this a little more keenly as I get older, but this idea of where we belong is one of the great existential questions. And it's one that animates, at least in my case, a fair amount of my life. So let me add to this. If you say, this is my shirt, the shirt belongs to you. If you say this is my people, it means I belong to the people. And the the this passage, this parsha, with the blessings to the children, not all of which are all that nice. Most of them are nice. Some of them are critical. And the desire to be buried in the ancestral place, to 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 not belong in Egypt, but to belong in a certain plot of land, um, is, is just to say this is. It's not that the land belongs. And Am Yisrael could use a dose of this now. The Jewish people could use a dose of this now. It's not that the land belongs to us, but it's that we belong to the land. Okay, so let me ask you this question then, interpreting v'shachavti imavotai unasatani mimisraim, picking up on, on the idea that he wants to be part of something beyond himself, but this is a very personal um, request. And and is the, what, I mean, what weight would you give to the I want it for me, and what weight would you give it to? I, I want it for everyone, so that they could visit me, or that I would be my presence, my the presence of my bones in the land, uh, would simply give added an added dimension of of ownership to the land. Is he is he doing it for himself, or is he doing it for the people? He's doing it for the family. I think. I think this is the part of the family story that I need to be with my family, where I came from, those ancestors, and I need to be buried by my descendants, not some anonymous people, you know, that work at the cemetery, but by my people. I, I think people find this, I find this, I think people find this, uh, you know, really deep. I mean, people younger than us, American Jews younger than us, um, I think, have, you know, a much more attenuated relationship to ethnicity. I think almost any place that Jews have lived over the centuries, we've had a strong sense of ethnicity. We're an us and they're a them. And that's, that's not going down so easy in American life. Um, that's seen to be, you know, borderline racist at best and all the way racist, if, if not at best. And the talk, however, if you can frame that, and this is how, of course, how I feel, um, family, your people, the people to whom you belong. I mean, this is this is the bad part about American life. We are all we are all isolated individuals, and every individual is the is the measure of all things. Uh, no, your life is not meaningful because you are you. Your life is meaningful because you are part of an us. And and I think this book and this parasha. 
you know, bring that bring that home deeply. I, I love what you said, Barry, about uh, it, it, it's about a tie to the past, but it has to be carried out by progeny. And that's ever ever the case. I think so. And, and maybe we live in a very unique era of Jewish history because, you know, the idea of belonging to a family plot or going to a family plot. Now, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in cemeteries, so we do see that there are people, you know, have lots of family plots. Uh, many families, you know, you have the ancestor of the family or the patriarch of the family usually, you know, buys a, a big plot with, I don't know, 25 spots, 20, you know, a, a number of, of graves with the idea and this was these were purchased way back in the you know early 10s and 20s of you know the 20th and last century you know people thinking you know we are here forever or we are here for a long period of time and therefore i will supply the room for uh, lots and lots of different people to be buried here including their partners and spouses and children uh, and then once it's filled up, they're going to have to go somewhere else. I can't buy a whole cemetery, right? And uh, I've encountered this, you know, any on any visit to the any one of the major cemeteries in in the metropolitan area here, we 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 see these things right at the beginning. You know, you see you enter the cemeteries, and the the prime properties are are family plots, the family plot. And then I think about people who who don't have that, and and I would say the majority of people don't have that. Because they yeah. live very far away from their families of origin, and they have to establish new. And nobody's nobody's shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars to buy you know twenty or thirty graves anymore. That's just not happening. I don't know. I, I, I first of all, I have, to, I have to say I have to cut a little short today, but um, this is quite true. And I, I, it's very interesting that so many of the cemeteries around here are organized by Landsmannschaft, and like yes. the people who, who came from this or that town organize this thing and and of course they thought i they, they must have thought in their naivete that the great-grandchildren were going to care that their great-grandparents came from such and such a town it's not true and and the landsman shops and they still have graves but they have nobody to administer them so there's some unused graves but my favorite one of these family plots i forget which cemetery this is but it's so funny there's the big plot with the big headstone and the bunch of footstones and on the big headstone it says in english roberts and in hebrew rosenberg Nice, and then so, when, is that not funny, the story of American Judaism? I'll tell you something. Right but you know what? In some of the New York cemeteries, also, so they can't the these empty graves in the family plots are are just laying empty. So who yes, gets they, them? There's, no, there's nobody. There's nobody to administer. They it's it's a, a total catch twenty two. You can't no, sell no, it. No, 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 no. They're they're filled with Russians. The Russians. You see the Russian graves there, and and they're quite you know distinct. The Russian graves are very ornate. They're. Um, yeah. Very ornate, and that's that's our story. I'm, I I got to cut it out a little bit earlier today, guys. But um... right. well, just two seconds, which is so. Yeah. This is all about about the wishes before for 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 leaving, and this is the the um, you know he 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 will he will bless his people. Vayit chazek Israel, lovely moment. We, he get he gets his last bit of strength, and he offers a blessing. So Jeremy, since you have to go, <laughs> the blessing at the end of the parsha is. Uh, you know, it's a blessing for for B'nai Israel, but there's. I want to hear a blessing for Klal Israel. No, I want to. I want to get uplifted. I, you know, we started with a little dark. The the book is dark, but is there a way to get hope out of this parsha? Is there a way to to see a future? Is there a way? Is there a way for us to get you know to 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 close the parsha with uplift? 
And, and well, to- you know, I mean, in rabbinic literature, I'm sorry for, I'm sure I've said this before, we've said this before, this is certainly one of the most famous pieces of rabbinic literature, uh, from the Talmud and Pesachim, that there's a, an orthographical feature that's unusual about this book. Vayechi is the only, by, by this Parsha, is the only Parsha that doesn't begin on a paragraph mark in a telescope, begins in the middle of a column. Yes. So it's often hard to find. So the Parsha is, so to speak, closed. Why is it closed? Because Jacob had a vision of the redemption, and when he was about to tell it to his children, they closed his eyes and they took away his vision of the ultimate redemption. And so he says, of course, you know, Jacob has two names. He's both Yaakov and Israel. And, uh, and he says, oh, my goodness, you know, our people, you know, my, my family's history is always a, a, a history of, of worthy and unworthy descendants. There's, you know, great Yitzhak, but there was lousy Ishmael. Uh, you know, great, great me, Yaakov, and lousy Esau. Maybe one of my children is not so, you know, is not so worthy to to hear this vision of redemption. And the children all gather around the bed and say, Shema Yisrael, Adunai Eloheinu, Adunai Echad. No, 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 listen, listen, O Israel. Um, it, the Lord is one. We're sticking with this path, to which he responds, of course, Baruch Shem Kavod Olam So every time, the, so the uplift is, Every time, uh, even on the deathbed, um, Jacob is reassured that 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 his descendants remain in the path of Hashem Echad. And, you know, like one of your kavanot, one of my kavanot might be when I say Shema, it's like I'm still reminding Yaakov Avinu we're still walking the path. Nice, beautiful, beautiful. So where I would locate the redemption is in the blessing of Menashe and Nephraim. Yeah. No, because one of the things that we overlook is that Jacob doesn't see so well. Yeah. Right. So he puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Menashe, crossing them. Yeah. Because he wants to give Ephraim the blessing of the firstborn, not the actual firstborn Menashe. And I think we have to see Jacob smiling because he's remembering that his father did this because he was tricked or because he couldn't see. I'm doing it because I know what I'm doing. And it's a way of justifying, in a sense, him receiving that blessing of the firstborn in the first place. That, in fact, that was God and not trickery that gave him the blessing. And now he can die in peace. Brilliant. The easy, the easy note, which is chazak, chazak, v'nit chazak. That we, that we, end the, we end the book. And we're praying, you know, that the book gives us strength and that we each other give us strength. Amazing. Studying, that studying gives strength to, to all of us, to call Yisrael, and it needs uh, strength at such a challenging time. We're going to leave it there. We thank everyone for watching, for listening. We hope you have a wonderful, a good week, uh, uh, if you're on vacation, a restful week, and that we, we really appreciate uh, accompanying you on, on the Torah journey from this to greater, greater strength. Shabbat Shalom. See you all.
מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM. כל רמה 